The Penn State Nittany Lions are the national champions. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast, where we talk for only 30 minutes and thus can't afford a slow first half. I am Matt Brown, editor for the Athletics College Football, and I am joined, as always, by our Penn State writer, Audrey Snyder. And Audrey, have you caught up on sleep after Saturday night's unexpected drama against Buffalo? I have not, but two cups of coffee later, I am ready, Matt. I think I'm coming out hard charging out of the gate today. Well, that's good to hear, because Penn State could use some of that going forward it seems Ouch. definitely so we, i feel like we have we have more to talk to than expected here or talk about than expected with the buffalo game you know there's always early thing early season takeaways for for any game but this was certainly a more interesting game than expected so before we get into it uh, you know this is our monday podcast it is free for everybody wherever you get your podcast please make sure to rate review subscribe to the podcast and uh Follow us on Twitter. I am at Matt Brown CFB. Audrey is at Aud Snyder 4, A-U-D Snyder 4. Please ask us questions. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. So let's get into it now, Audrey. Takeaways from Penn State's 45-13 to win against Buffalo, which is a much different final score than we thought it was going to at halftime. Yeah, Matt. First of all, uh, your prediction was pretty close. You picked 45 to 14. I went 45 to 10. Just terrible, Audrey. You were three points off. You know, we were so close yet so far. However, uh, they got there way differently than we expected. I went back, rewatched the game on Sunday for my Upon Further Review piece, which is up at The Athletic, and the monstrous 3,000-word takeaway piece is up. I don't know, Matt. That first half, I wrote about it after the game. You can't dismiss what happened in that first half. I mean, this team got booed at the half by the home crowd, which I haven't heard that a whole heck of a lot. Um, I do remember, I mean, I'm sure it's happened since then, but I remember it happening at the halftime of that Minnesota game with the 2016 team. But Penn State in the first half, the offense looked pretty rough, um, no consistency. You did have the big Sean Clifford to Jahan Dotson touchdown, but even that, uh, K.J. Hamler was in the same area, and you wondered if Dotson was the intended receiver, which Clifford said afterward he was. Um, But the defense, I mean, when Buffalo has a 19-play drive that chews off 8 minutes and 34 seconds, that to me is something you don't just, you know, erase and say, oh, well, they got to win. Yes, they got to win, they're 2-0, but boy, there was a lot to sift through from that one. I mean, it feels like kind of deja vu in some respects. You know, we think about last year mm-hmm. and the Pitt game. They ended up blowing out Pitt, but the first half was just ugly. They couldn't tackle. But they ended up blowing them out, and it's like, well, how, are you, how can you complain? What was it, 51-6? to six? And then, you know, the Illinois game. They're, like, losing in the third quarter, and they end up covering the spread. And, you know, so it's just they've had these weird – and then not only that, but, you know, they pointed out 2016, there was a team that was notorious for its slow starts and its comeback. So it's like, this isn't new. Like we've seen them do this before, but it was still just strange because, you know, Buffalo was a team that attempted 10 passes last week against Robert Morris and lost so much of their talent from a 10 win team last year. Now, to be fair, you got to give them credit, you know, kind of like we had to give App App State credit last year. Yeah, th- this was a you well-coached know, team. They're a well-coached sure. team. We know they are. You don't win six Division three national championships in eight years if you're not a good football coach. I don't care if it's D3. He, you know, Lance Leopold has done a fantastic job at Buffalo, and they came in. They had a plan. They're off. We, we talked about it on Thursday. You know, They have an experienced offensive line that's probably the best in the MAC. That's not an excuse for blowing Penn State off the ball with Penn State's defensive line talent, but they have a good cohesive offensive line, and their running backs are good. Jarrett Patterson is a good player. 
Yeah, and the, the quarterback came out and, and Matt Myers, and he made some throws. Now, Penn State had some blown coverages, but Myers made some throws too. So Buffalo, you know, I think played like it's almost its ideal football game in the first half. And then, you know, by, by the time we get to the third quarter, it's like the athletes, the depth of Penn State won out. And I think, Matt, one of the things I was asking the players, I talked mostly to the to the defensive players after the game because I thought that was more interesting. I mean, I expected this offense, you're going to see some struggles through non-conference play, and we have as they you know try to find their footing and then they explode in the third quarter like they did. But to me, the, the bigger story was the defense and how yeah. a defensive line with this much talent um, could struggle like they did. And also, the tackling was not great. Um, a week after we praised them for tackling – wasn't really great against Buffalo. Um, I just thought it was really strange how how they could be on the field as long as they were. I mean, when you need somebody to make a play, and this is a defense where Etor Gross-Matos and Micah Parsons are your two big playmakers, and they're going to be, they're supposed to be, but it was John Reed who makes the play in the third quarter. Uh, the pick six really opens things up for Penn State. Of course, the floodgates open from there, but I think, and one of the things I wrote about um, on The Athletic is that John Reed should be in that category of playmakers because through two weeks, he's the guy with two picks. I mean, he's the guy who's making plays. They need more from this front seven. I mean, Cam Brown came came back, got his first start of the season, um, did force and fumble a recovery. So clearly that means they're reading The Athletic and my Friday piece last week about the (laughs) emphasis on fumble recoveries that they need to do so. but I just, I was really, really surprised. I think one of the things that fans need to keep an eye on moving forward is Buffalo had some really athletic tight ends. And yeah. that was a mismatch for Penn State. I mean, I went back and watching, and, and you look at Buffalo's touchdown, you can see Micah Parsons, Tariq Castrofields, and Jan Johnson all point, pointing around and Garrett Taylor on that play. And the tight end just runs free into the end zone. I mean, you saw him down the seam earlier as well. And you know, Jaquan Brisker was back really far. And so there's some definitely some big time kinks for this defense to work out. And some people might want to say, well, they were substituting through a lot of guys. Yes, they were. But part of the reason they were doing that was because they couldn't get off the field. So, I mean, when you have a defense that's on the field for 90 snaps, uh, that's a big number. That's a number that was problematic last year. The Penn State had a three game stretch um, where the defense was on the field a lot. So, that accumulation of reps, I think, Matt, is something that, you know, they got to keep in mind now with Pitt coming in here. Yeah, it was like they couldn't have a single play where everybody played well at once. Like, it was the defensive line was a problem. Then the secondary was a problem. Then the linebackers were a problem. So disjointed, like, yeah. Nobody had a really great – you know, I, I looked at the box score here. It was like Micah Parsons had 10 tackles. That was the quietest 10 tackles. Uh, but yeah. it wasn't just him, you know. And no, nobody really – Except, you know, John Reed changed the game with that interception, but otherwise it's not like anybody had a great game on defense. I think, you know, P.J. Mustafer came off the bench and played well. Uh, but, you know, the starting unit definitely, I think it was it was a little bit of a wake-up call. You know, they, they were able to just overwhelm a clearly inferior team last week in Idaho. And even though Buffalo was also an inferior team compared to Penn State talent-wise, it's a well-coached team that, that you know, again, they did win 10 games last year and – say what you will about Rutgers, but they blew out Rutgers on the road. This, you know, this is a good Buffalo team. Uh, but so I, I think it's just a little bit of a wake up call to say, okay, here's what we need to do. And we still, you know, everybody expects the defense to carry this team this year, but there's still a lot of progress to be made and a lot of things to get right. And, you know, they're going to have to do that against Pitt this week, who, you know, isn't 
does not have a great offense, but it's still <laughs> the talent level keeps building each game here. And I think, Matt, too, I mean, if if we're trying to find positives from this game and what do you learn, um, I thought P.J. Mustafer was one of those. And yeah. you look at the rotation, Antonio Shelton got the start again, but the second series it was Mustafer who came on with everything that was the first team defense with the exception. They did, they did this last week, too. Um, Jonathan Sutherland came in to spell Garrett Taylor on the second series, but Mustafer got a lot of reps with that first team D line. It's almost I like the Micah Parsons treatment last year where yes. Pars- Koa Farmer would start and then Parsons would be in like immediately. Like a starter and, in name only type of deal. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, and that's not unexpected. Like I think we talked we about it in so. the preseason yeah. podcast, like the two guys who most seem capable of becoming like co-starters at least were, were Mustafer and Ellis Brooks at inside linebacker. And I think we could, definitely see that with Ellis Brooks especially if Jan Johnson struggles with Mm -hmm. some of the more athletic matchups that that Penn State is going to see and as Buffalo gave him some problems with in the passing game and I think Matt when I was asking all these defensive players after the game I was curious you know what was said at the half because I thought James Franklin's comments were really telling where he said you know what we were inconsistent yes we were even more explosive in the second half and they were with Penn State's offense 21 percent of their plays Mm -hmm. um, were explosive games exceeding their goal of 16 percent but both sides, man, it was so hit or miss with the inconsistencies. And I said to Cam Brown, I was like, well, what was, you know, kind of the mood at the half? You know, were guys really angry? Who needed to say something? He's like, no, it was honestly a really normal halftime. And I was like, okay, so they're not panicking um, about that, which I guess is a positive. Which is good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like for a young team, you know, they're not they're not really panicking. Um, Rob Windsor said that, they brought up himself and some of these other older guys mentioned that, hey, 2016, you know, this was a team who did this as well, and they were able to to get off the slow starts, but then, you know, put some plays together and, and roll a lot of teams over. So it's troublesome um, when you have a start the way that they did, but then you look at the second half, and definitely this was a coming out party, I think, for Jahan Dotson. I mean, he yep. looks like he is that number two receiver, we continue to see Justin Shorter, but there really weren't any big plays made by Shorter uh, through these first two games, and that now gets a little more interesting because Shorter's backup, Daniel George, who also was on on the second series, and I mentioned last week that I didn't think there was a whole heck of a lot of separation between George and Shorter. I asked Jared Parker about it last week. Um, he seemed to pretty much agree with my thinking and said, yeah, they wanted to play both guys a lot. Um, Daniel George had his right wrist in a cast at the end of the game, so they need Shorter to be that guy, but in order for him to be that guy, that offense needs to be able to stay on the field, which they weren't able to do. Yeah, it was a you know it's it was a weird game where I don't want to call the first half a fluke because mm-hmm. Buffalo, you got to give them credit. They, they outmanned them. They, they outpowered them. They, yep. they, they they outplayed Penn State in the first half, but you knew at halftime. Okay, this isn't repeatable. Like, there's not going to be another half where Buffalo holds the ball for almost 22 minutes. Like, it's just not going to happen. Penn State's going to make some plays. And now the first drive, you can't, they come out and Ricky Slade fumbles. Like, oh, my God, maybe it is going to happen again. Uh, but then John yeah. Reed steps up and makes that play. It was just – the offense was just kind of we, – we said the defense was disjointed. The offense definitely was. And it's just like nobody got into a rhythm at all. And, you know, the final numbers, you look – you know, Clifford was 16-22, to 22, 279 yards, four touchdowns. He ended up having a heck of a game throwing the football. But, you know, it's – it was just a weird game where you look at Clifford was also had five more rushes than anybody else. He had 11 of the 24 carries. That was that that's the thing that maybe stands out to me the most out of the first two games on offense. It's not, I'm not, not even that Clifford is again, more athletic than we gave him credit for. It's that 
Clifford is running the ball that much because I think coming into the year we talked about you know where how how they would divide carries among the running backs more than they have with Miles Sanders and mm-hmm. Saquon Barkley. But I also thought that would happen because they're not going to run the ball with the quarterback as much as they did with Trace McSorley because it seemed like overkill last year when they're running McSorley who wasn't 100% healthy. And now through two games, uh, Sean Clifford is tied for the lead, tied for the team lead in rushing with uh, Devin Ford, who had the big run last week, and Ricky Slade is seventh with eight carries for seventeen yards, and it's like okay, it's weird. I think part part of it is on look, it's just the offense and the 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 plays that they run. It's up to Sean Clifford to decide whether he's going to keep the ball, and he's keeping the ball a lot. And I think some of them were probably bad decisions, you know. But it's a yeah. red shirt. It's a redshirt sophomore quarterback who hasn't run a lot of these plays before, and that's part of it. Part of the learning curve isn't just getting comfortable throwing the football. It's these design runs where he's deciding whether to give or give or keep. And here's, I think here's what here's what stands out to me, Matt. And I, I mentioned this in my story today. Um, Penn State they put so much emphasis on explosive plays, right? This is a number that they bring up every single week when James Franklin meets with the media. Penn State has seven rushes of twelve plus yards this year. Only two of those rushes belong to a running back, and that was Journey Brown's 23-yard touchdown versus Idaho, and, of course, Devin Ford, the 81-yarder against Idaho as well. Uh, Penn State, as a team, has 409 rushing yards on 69 attempts. That's right, 409 rushing yards on 69 attempts. Uh, Ford and Clifford are tied for the team lead with 108 yards each. So, so much you know can be made of who is who's the running back, who should be the running back. And I'll tell you what, Matt, I mentioned it last Thursday on our podcast – I think Journey Brown deserves to get a longer look. I really do. And you mentioned earlier with the, the commonalities between this game and the pit game last year, another commonality in that game, Ricky Slade fumbled the ball then too. I mean, it's it looked like, you know, in this game, Buffalo, the player got his knee on the ball, Slade fumbles it. Um, and he was not worked back into the rotation after that fumble early in the third three quarter. Three carries. Journey Brown, technically, basically compared to the other running backs, Journey Brown did get more of a look because he had – Six carries and Ricky Slade and no, the other three running backs had a combined four carries: three for Slade, mm-hmm. one for Kane, and none for Ford. Which is just again, it was it was a really, 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 really bizarre game where they just never got anybody into a rhythm in the running game. And uh, oh, sorry, Devin Ford had one carry. ESPN's box score accidentally labeled him as Jason Oway. Well, there. <laughs> And there's probably a good reason for that, Matt, because the live box, the live stats actually froze in the second <laughs> quarter. Um, so your media contingent was operating for the entirety of the second half with no live stats. Um, so we didn't even get to see a final official box score until after interviews. Uh, so that was an interesting adventure. Um, but my thing here, I guess if we're putting on our head coach hats for, here for a second, um, when Penn State comes out against Pitt, is Ricky Slade your starting running back? And I, I wonder, because Penn State, I mean, James Franklin's mentioned it before, they pretty much have a no-tolerance policy when it comes to fumbling. And I just wonder, do you give Journey Brown that first look on Saturday, which we've seen before, hey, give him a series or two, then you rotate it through. They're going to continue to rotate. Like, that's still part yeah. of the equation. Um, but, you know, I expect we're going to see a lot of oars on the depth chart. But if you're looking at who was the more productive back, on Saturday, um, I think Journey Brown did a lot of really good things. Uh, I cut up one clip where he did a really nice job um, with a pickup and hung tough and gave Clifford enough time to, to dump off a yeah. seven-yard pass to Pat Fryermuth. 
Journey Brown also had a nice play on special teams, blocking a punt. Um, so I just think you gotta you gotta figure out what it looks like. But all of these backs need more opportunities. And you know, you did see Devin Ford kind of catapult Noah Kane. Um, Ford was the third running back on this week, the spot that Kane had the week before. But Noah Kane then gets in around the goal line, which is where I think they really need to and probably will use him. Um, and gets in for a touchdown there. So I I don't know this this backfield is interesting, but again you got to get these guys more opportunities, which is a consistency thing, which is on this entire offense. Yeah, it's a few things. It's number one they couldn't get anybody more touches because they weren't on the field in the in the Buffalo game in the first half. So it's like you're trying to rotate backs while the offense has runs like fewer than 20 plays in the half, and Sean Clifford is keeping the ball more than expected. So I think some of this stuff will sort itself out. Like my if I had to guess. I, I, my prediction at least would be that Ricky Slade will still start on, on against Pitt. Uh, but I mean, who knows? We, there's, he has an or next to his name on the depth chart too. And, but you know, I could see them reevaluating the running back situation a little bit after the Pitt game. They have a, they have an off week mm-hmm. for big 10 play. You'd think some things will be reevaluated then, but it's just, I, I think Clifford will get more comfortable running these read option plays and RPOs going forward. Um, yeah, it's just it's kind of a learning curve that exists, and I think that just plays part a part in what the running game has looked like right now. So the running backs probably should have gotten a few more carries on some of the you know plays that Clifford got uh, stopped stopped quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think defenses might, if, if Sean Clifford has more fifty eight yard runs, defenses might have to respect him a little bit more and pay him a little bit more attention with the running game, and which which could lead to lead to more gives to the running backs. Yeah, I just I mean the thing, Matt, that I one of the things that jumped out on me. Um, I mean, this offense only ran forty six plays against Buffalo, and for comparison, last year um, in that drubbing at the Big House against Michigan, they ran forty seven. So this was again, you didn't have the consistency to do that, but. I guess part of my question is, why did it take them what seemed like an entire first half to remember and to realize that Pat Fryermuth is one of the best players on this <laughs> offense? I mean, he is it, really good. He is going to be a really good player. Yeah. He already is a really good player. He's going to be a pro. I mean, eight catches, 99 yards, two touchdowns. That fourth down catch and run, which mm-hmm. looks like it could have been a disaster play, and then he hauls it in and just outruns the entire defense. That was a great play, a great stud. call. Like, I mean, they have some weapon. You know, you talked about shorter. You know, we haven't totally seen a ton from him yet. He's had a few catches, but, you know, been slow to really get involved. But between Hamler, Dotson, and Fryermuth, those are three really, really good weapons, and we've seen all three of them have a big game so far. So you have to like that. And let's look at, you know, okay, this has kind of been a doom and gloom podcast almost, you know, just, you know. Welcome the to the show, everybody. To, the things Everybody's they have to figure out. Everybody's free to listen which, today. I think a lot of people have concerns, but okay. Now, again, they've played Idaho and Buffalo, and Buffalo, again, was probably better than we thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Penn State is sixth in yards per play nationally, uh, second in scoring offense, and Sean Clifford is fourth in passing efficiency nationally. So, Sean Clifford has been pretty good. You know, the slow start against, uh, against Idaho, he was a little shaky at the beginning. I think there's, you know, we talked about he has some decision making probably to clean up in the running game. But through two games, he's 30 of 45, 559 yards, six touchdowns, no interceptions, 12.4 yards per pass attempt, which is also second in the country. And again, he's going to see much better defenses than Penn State has seen so far. But as, as a passer, I don't see anything not to be encouraged by with Sean Clifford. He's a confident guy who, who's got his confidence, I think, and has, has, has some playmakers, isn't afraid to let it rip downfield, which I think 
you know, what, what's been the best aspect of Penn State's offense in the past few years beyond Saquon Barkley? It was, you know, 2016 when they just were completely unafraid Slinging to take it. shots and use, yep. use, use the playmakers. And I think we might see a bit of that again just based on the speed that they have and Clifford's arm strength and, and kind of fearlessness, I think, back there. And part of it, uh, one of the stories I'm working on this week, sneak peek, um, Jahan Dotson is a guy who has so much more confidence in himself this year, but also in his route running. And he said, I mean, this double move, and K.J. Hamler had a really great uh, great double move on his his deep ball as well that he caught. Um, I mean, these guys, you have to take advantage of them because they're legitimate, legitimate threats to stretch the field. And I was actually down on the sideline when Dotson had his second touchdown. Um, I had just gotten down to the field toward the end of the game. And as he's coming, of course, it's coming right toward me, and I saw my life flash before my eyes. But don't worry, Matt, I held my ground. Um, Good job. So he's coming, and I see the ball. He catches it, but it kind of drops a little bit. And it looked like, um, and I tweeted out the photo, it looked like it almost was going to slip through his hands. And I asked him about it afterward. He's like, yeah, that ball was coming, and all I kept thinking was, do not drop it. Do it not drop like it. It's almost like the that Saquon pass against Michigan at home two yes. years ago. Where Same he thing. tipped it to himself, but he almost blew it. He was wide open. But credits to John Dotson. Made the play and finished with four catches, 109, 109 yards, two touchdowns. And, yeah, you have to like what the potential there. I mean, he was a guy who turned heads early last year, which is why he got on the field. He should have been on the field more last year mm-hmm. and probably earlier. Yeah. And but now we're going to see it. I mean, he's it's going if guys like this, you know, you look at the the weapons they have there. That's three guys we just mentioned that are clear impact players. I think that they have in Dotson, Hamler and Fryermuth. I mean, it's they, they have a lot of weapons that are going to be tough for defenses to account for. And I think as Clifford develops here and opposing teams realize what Penn State might have in Clifford as a passer, it's it's also going to open things up for the running game when you have deep threats at receiver and can stretch the field in the passing game, that will also help the running game. So I'm not, I am not like panicking. I don't think about what the running game is going to look like. It has been very, very, very strange, mm-hmm. especially when you had these years of Saquon as this, you know, the arguably the best player in Penn State history, and then Miles Sanders, who was, you know, clear lead back. They don't have a clear lead back. They have four guys. Hardly any of them have touched the ball so far. Sean Clifford has leads the team in 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 rushing despite not playing the second half against Idaho. So there's definitely concern and it's strange, but I think they are figuring, figuring some things out and that it will get better. How it actually sh- shakes out. I don't know. It's really hard to predict and right now. Something that needs to get better, Matt. I think this is fans favorite topic, favorite punching bag, but this offensive line, uh, we did see yeah. Mike Miranda get the start at right guard in place of CJ Thorpe. Thorpe came in a few series later, um, which that didn't surprise me because Miranda was the coaching staff player of the week um, last last week. So clearly when they graded out the film, they thought and realized they should have gotten him on more. We did see Des Holmes get a little bit of work at left tackle, but Rasheed Walker's primarily been there. Um, there were some sequences. There were some plays that have yeah. to make you scratch your head about the offensive line. Um, one of them was C.J. Thorpe had a penalty, and then the next play, Will Fries and Michael Mennett both had holding penalties on the same play, and Des Holmes was beaten um, on that play as well as Clifford was f- was flushed out of the pocket. Uh, they're going to have to be better in the trenches, and I get it. It's it's one game, but I understand the fan base, you know, reaction to this is, hey, you know, here they go again. So what Buffalo does this Buffalo won the line of like? scrimmage at both yes. sides of the ball for the first half, at least. Absolutely. And that, that, that can't happen. Again, Buffalo is a good offensive line, but they're still 
in the MAC, and Penn State's a team that is you know trying to be a top ten team. I have Penn State, despite the <laughs> problems of the first half. I have Penn State uh, number ten, I believe. I'm I'm an AP top twenty five voter, and I Penn State ended up yeah I have them number ten, which again mm-hmm. they did win by. 32 points so let's not completely panic here (laughs) like they've they've blown out two teams but there is a lot to clean up to live up to that potential and anybody who watched you know army michigan they're gonna say okay well you know what it wasn't it wasn't that bad right it wasn't that everybody has flaws keep it like that's the thing when i was when i was figuring out my ballot this week it's like okay yeah should penn state be this high i don't know maybe not uh you know in the actual poll the 13th but everybody in that range has flaws. Like I'm like, okay, Michigan state. Yeah. I'm not confident Michigan state's offense still, you know, they've had, they did look good on Saturday, but there's still a lot to go. So all like just all of these teams in that range, that's why they're not in the top five because everybody has something to clean up and Penn state has a few things to clean up, but we knew the offense would have some, some quite a few things, some things to develop. I mean, there's so many new faces on offense and you know, even on the offense line, there's some new faces. So it's, it's going to be a work in progress. We knew it was going to be a work in progress. And what we said was the defense might have to carry them at times. And it just didn't happen in the first half. But they, they John figured Reed things out. And, and Yeah, they figured it out and, and made the plays they needed to. So I don't think some struggles against Buffalo should not have been totally surprising. It's just it was a very, very weird first half. You know, man, and I, going back to kind of the, the, the moment that the momentum shifted, the John Reed play. Um, I mean, you could really, it was one of those plays. If anyone who's ever been, been on the press box side of Beaver stadium, uh, when a big play happens, the fans go crazy and the press box actually starts to sway. Right. Uh, that was one of those moments. The first press box swaying moment of the season, uh, came from John Reed. And you know, Matt, I, one of the things I, I thought about was where would this defense be had Reed not blown out his knee a couple years ago, right? Because he never redshirted up until that point. Um, I mean, you probably would be looking at Trent Gordon as the other corner right now. And that's, I mean, he's been playing a lot. I think this we'd be looking a, at Keaton Ellis starting by mid, mid-season, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is not a slight to a slight to Trent Gordon at all because I think he's going to be pretty good. Um, but what a luxury it is for Penn State to have a fifth-year senior back there, a guy who's been through a lot, who's seen a lot. And I think part of that value, Matt, with, with a John Reed type of guy uh, was what he was saying after the game. James Franklin mentioned that he had this conversation in the offseason with Reed and his family about Reed's future. And so I asked John, I said, well, you know, what, what do you remember about this conversation? How did it go? Um, and I thought it was a very typical John Reed moment where he said, like, I told them, I want, like, I want you to coach me really hard. Coach me harder than you've ever coached me before because we all know I have things that I need to get better at. And I was like, oh, well, okay. Like, I'm sure most players don't go into their meetings begging, you know, for a coach to to kind of dog them even more. But he did. And he said, you know, don't let me get away with anything in practice. Like, I'm here for a fifth year for a reason. Uh, And I think he's really shown that through two games that, you know, he can be that guy. But the sideline, the way they react to them when he makes a play like he did with that pick six, um, they have a ton of respect for this guy. And the fact that, he, all throughout practice every week, is a guy who's always going hard. James Franklin always mentions that John Reed is one of those guys who just kind of goes about his business and does everything the right way. Um, I think there's just a lot of value in that um, when you do have, you know, a team that's got some, some younger pieces on both sides of the ball. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was really telling that he's like, you know, I thought they were going to coach me hard. I was hoping they would coach me hard. 
Um, but, you know, he just wanted to overemphasize it. And he said Terry Smith has done that. So I'm sure Terry will find something to pick apart uh, with John Reed this way. And that's exactly uh, how John Reed wants it to be. It's good to see. It's a guy you want to root for who, you know, was yeah. a starter early in his career, had a good, you know, was a big part of the 2016 team and then has that injury and then was just clearly slow to come back from it last year and was a little tentative and uh, not the case now. And, and it's good to see. And and he's going to be a very, very important player for this Penn State defense for sure. So, okay, moving forward, it is pit week. We'll oh, get on, you know, thir- Thursday. We'll have our subscriber only bonus podcast to preview the pit game in full, but you know, as the week begins, the last week of the rivalry, as we know it, uh, what are you expecting? What are you looking for this week? I'm waiting to see. It's it's Monday, which I believe Pat Narduzzi typically talks on Mondays, I think. Um, I want to say Monday afternoon. So I'm curious if this will be the only time he talks this week. Will he go with the media blackout, which we've seen him do uh, the last few years when these teams have played? It's um, really worked the last couple of years. It's really helped yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a highlight. <laughs> Uh, but but I wonder, I mean, Penn State has always been with this game status quo. They're going to talk. They're going to go about it the right way. James Franklin already sent out his Sunday night tweet um, with all focus being on pit, 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 like he does with every opponent. Um, so I'm just curious to see from Pitt's side of things, what do they change? Because we've seen it before. They treat this game like their Super Bowl. Uh, we know that they're going to, you know, they're going to hype this thing up. Who knows what Pat Narduzzi is pointing to and picking out behind the scenes, but I'm sure there'll be something um, to try and get his team fired up for for Saturday afternoon. I do, from the Penn State perspective, um, you have to wonder about Daniel George, like I mentioned earlier, with that right wrist and a cast at the end of the game. Um, I don't expect that we're going to get an answer on that this week because Penn State doesn't talk about injuries, uh, but that could potentially be you know one guy who they, they might be without. But beyond that, Matt, I mean, Penn State has so so much of their own things, so many of their own things to clean up um, that I don't think they really need to necessarily overemphasize Pitt as much as it should be about their own execution. And I know this is going to come up this week because it always comes up every Pitt week and Pitt fans try to say that Penn State's downplaying this thing. And I'm sure to some degree they are, <laughs> but... Uh, a candid moment in the media room Saturday night. Um, you know, we're down there. It's almost about midnight at this point. And I won't name the player, but one player on Penn State's team was asked, you know, hey, are you aware that this is the last time these teams are meeting, you know, in the four-year agreement? And the player was like, ah, yeah, I mean, sure, I guess so, whatever. <laughs> and then the player was asked, hey, do you know how many, like what number meeting this is between the teams? This is meeting number 100 coming up this weekend. Um, the player guessed 17. So when people say, you know, oh, they're downplaying it, they don't get it. Again, this is a whole younger generation who didn't live through it. Uh, It's a lot different. So I don't think this is necessarily a slight as much as it is reality, you know. The players, the only Penn State pick games they've watched are the ones the last four years. You know, they played at the end of the 90s and 2000, but the current players weren't aware of that then. And that's where we stand right now. So it's just... You know, I mean, sad to say it's sad to see in some respects, but it's just the rivalry isn't what it was. And it Tom still means Blackledge, a lot to a lot of people, but it's it's not what it was. Todd Blackledge had a tweet about it Monday morning, um, kind of about how this, you know, rivalry is dissipating, how it's going away and kind of the sadness associated with that. I mean, for, I get it for a whole generation um, of Pitt fans, of Penn State fans. This is a lot uh, to see it go away. So I'm sure they will be at each other's throats on social media this week. Um, I always, I go back to two years ago. The atmosphere here was fantastic. 
There were a ton of Pitt fans. I've never experienced worse traffic than I did for that particular game. I would expect... Are you yeah, are you, are you challenging this week to see what happens? Like, you know, <laughs> I, I already thought about it, Matt. I might leave at like 7.30 or 8 o'clock just because I'm leery. I mean, it took me close to two hours to get there a few years ago, and it should take me like 10 minutes. Um, so I am a little hesitant about that. But, you know, it, it's such a such a big game for these fan bases. It's bragging rights. But you have to understand for players, especially kids who aren't from Pennsylvania, uh, this game does not have that same kind of sway. But after watching Maryland, which I got a chance, good bit to watch Maryland Saturday afternoon, that's Penn State's opponent after Pitt, after that bye week, um, Penn State has to clean a lot of things up this week. So I think there'll be no shortage of things to focus on. Well, and there we have it then. We'll leave it at that. We will be back on Thursday with our subscriber-exclusive podcast on The Athletic, previewing the Penn State Pit game, which is Saturday at noon Eastern time. And uh, so this is Monday episodes every week, our recap episodes from the weekend before. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and on The Athletic as well. And uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. And again, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at MattBrownCFB. Audrey is at AUD Snyder 4. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back here Thursday on The Athletic to preview Penn State versus Pitt.